Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And on your screen in front of you, you see something that we don't generally use as source material here in Virtual Legality. It's a Reddit thread from the page for the PlayStation 5 that is entitled as follows. Just noticed that the iconic Chrysler building has been removed in Spider-Man Miles Morales. It's actually ridiculous that a 90-year-old building can no longer be replicated due to copyright infringement. Note the term there, copyright infringement. If you clicked on this thumbnail, you probably already saw the parenthetical in which I said this is not a copyright issue, but a lot of folks could be forgiven for making that mistake, not only because intellectual property is large and confusing and has a bunch of different classifications, but also because major publications are making that mistake themselves. So first, before we dive into that major publication, let's take a look at these photos here. You can see here, either from Spider-Man 2018 or Spider-Man Remastered, ironically enough, the Chrysler building displayed here on the New York City skyline and how it has been replaced in Miles Morales with a rather non-distinct other large skyscraper, but with shiny ray-traced reflective surfaces because, hey, you're on the PlayStation 5. Why not? But getting back to the matter at hand, we've got an article from Game Informer that I am very sorry to say makes a fundamental mistake in its premises. And before I get into that, I also want to say I am very thankful that journalists in the game industry and various other places have now started looking at intellectual property law, other business and legal related questions related to some of my favorite pop culture items like video games, like PlayStation 5 and Miles Morales. But I still have to make corrections where I see them. And so... Hence this video. Spider-Man Miles Morales is missing this major New York City landmark. Absolutely true so far. One of New York City's most iconic landmarks, the Chrysler Building, was removed for the recent release of Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales. The building was not only featured in Marvel's Spider-Man video game from 2018, but has been featured in lots of Marvel media over the past several decades. However, with the building coming under new ownership in 2019, it looks like the Chrysler building may be making fewer appearances. We talked to a copyright lawyer, not me, about the ways buildings are protected by copyright and to developer Insomniac Games about why it had to change its version of the New York City skyline. Now, one thing I also want to say, they did get a quote from Insomniac or an Insomniac representative as part of this article, is that Insomniac doesn't lie in their statements. They actually don't say what part of intellectual property law they're dealing with, what part of negotiations they were dealing with. So I don't want to put the onus on them for any mistakes here in this article. This is just coming from assumptions of non-lawyers who are looking at this question and seeing it as a copyright question when it is in fact not the case. So the reason why it's not the case is in the history of the building. The Chrysler building opened on May 27th, 1930 and stood as the tallest building in the world until the Empire State Building was completed in May 1931. So not a long stint as the tallest building in the world, but a nice year for the Chrysler building. It was in Spider-Man 2018. It's also in Spider-Man Remastered. However, in the recent PlayStation 5 uh, version of Miles Morales, it is no longer there. It is the building that we saw depicted on the Reddit page. Since 2008, the Abu Dhabi Investment Council, an investment arm of the Abu Dhabi government, owned a 90% majority of the building with the New York-based real estate investment company Tishman Speyer Properties, which still managed the property despite owning only 10% of the building. But in January 2019, so after the original Spider-Man came out, but before Miles Morales came out, 
a year and a half before the release of Miles Morales, the two parties put the building up for sale, which was co-purchased in March of the same year, 2019, by the Austrian company Signa Group and the New York real estate development company RFR Holding LLC. Now, if you're a corporate lawyer like myself, it's rare to see these kinds of paragraphs in some place like Game Informer. I love that they did the research here. I love seeing something that looks like it's straight out of the Wall Street Journal in a video game outlet. So bully to them. As of 1990, you can see this highlighted in red, architectural works such as the Chrysler Building can be protected under copyright, no different than other forms of art. And the reason that is highlighted in red is because I read that sentence and I said, that doesn't sound right. And in fact, it isn't. If we go and we look at the actual Copyright Act, we can see what they are basing this on. We see a definition of an architectural work is the design of a building as embodied in any tangible medium of expression, including a building, architectural plans, or drawings. The work includes the overall form as well as the arrangement and composition of spaces and elements in the design, but does not include individual standard features. You can't just copyright the concept of four walls and a roof. That's the definition of an architectural work. Of course, the Copyright Act is going to use that. Like all good laws, it takes a few words to get there. But when we do, in Section 102, it says copyright protection subsists, applies to original works of authorship, and works of authorship include the following categories, notably for us, architectural works. So you say, Rick, what's the problem? Game Informer's got it right. They just referenced it covers architectural works, but it really doesn't. If we now dive into the microfiche version of the internet, we look at the actual original law as passed, we can see the actual section that was added to protect architectural works. And we can also see that the amendments made by the title only apply to architectural work created on or after the date of the enactment of this act. That's the normal way that you pass laws is you don't apply them retroactively. It's very difficult to do that. And you have certain legal issues with ex post facto lawmaking, uh, depending on what you're doing in the law. But you could see that this was passed December 1st, 1990. And it only applies to things made after 1990. If you remember that what we highlighted here is that the Chrysler building is from 1930, not from 1990. And in fact, it certainly looks like anything that we would be looking at with respect to these additions. The fact that architectural works were added to the Copyright Act in 1990 would only apply to buildings created thereafter. And in fact, if we go and we look at the more simplified publications of the Copyright Office, we see exactly what we would expect. An architectural work is the design of a building as embodied in that tangible medium of expression. Copyright protects architectural works created on or after December 1st, 1990. Exactly what we would expect and somehow missed as part of the discussion in Game Informer. Not that I blame them. This is tricky stuff, even for lawyers. Now, there are still ways that maybe you could get this thing to apply to the Chrysler building, right? It was completed in 1930, but did it always look that way? So I did a scroll through of the Wikipedia entry here. I'm no architecture uh, aficionado, so I didn't know all of this. I did realize actually that there was so much to write about the Chrysler building, but you live and you learn. And it says an annex was completed in 1952 and the building was sold by the Chrysler family the next year. So 1952, still not 1990. If that had said 1992, it's possible that something like the annex could have been protected by copyright. And then if we continue to scroll down and down and down and down and down and go through the history of the entire building until we get to the spire underwent a restoration that was completed in 1995. The joints in the now closed observation deck were polished and the facade restored as part of a $1.5 million project. And you can in fact go and look at the picture of the restoration from apparently the architects that were behind it and how they made it 
gleam like apparently it used to gleam uh, in 1930. And if there had been major modifications, if this was not a restoration, if this was something like they built a giant hamburger and put it on top, then perhaps that hamburger could have been protected by copyright. But as best I can tell, it was a true restoration. They fixed things up. They polished things. They intended it to look like it did in 1930. And so in general, those kinds of activities aren't going to attach new copyright protection that only started to exist in 1990. So that's the very first set of issues with respect to what's going on here. But let's talk about a little bit more. So first, before we get to what I want to talk about as part of what might be happening here, I want to point out the following, because this is going to come up in this article again, is that when they added architectural work, specifically the protection of buildings to the Copyright Act, the lawyers, the legislature that was in charge of putting this act together was very clear that they didn't want to ban photos of buildings that were just out there in public, photos, movies, and other things that when you're just taking a recordation of what you are seeing out in the world could otherwise violate copyright if these architecture firms or the other designers of these buildings had these copyrights that the legislature was giving them. So they put forth a law here that said the following. The copyright in an architectural work that has been constructed does not include the right to prevent the making, distributing, or public display of pictures, paintings, photographs, or other pictorial representations of the work if the building in which the work is embodied is located in or ordinarily visible from a public place. Now, you also might say, Rick, does that mean that Insomniac or anybody else that's making a New York skyline is just in the clear? And no, it doesn't mean that either. Because you look at this, and this was deliberately intended to be able to allow people to capture the reality around them. That is why you have this proviso about ordinarily visible from a public place, that you're taking that photo from a public place, you capture the building, the copyright owner of the way that building looks can't come after you for taking that photo or even making that movie. But when you get into the world of video games and you're actually making textures and you're designing three-dimensional spaces that you don't have to have anything particular in, that you can change out for a blocky building within two years because it's not an actual building, then this kind of proviso was not designed to protect you. So while this is not something that has been litigated, I would argue that this particular provision isn't designed to allow video games to necessarily incorporate things that were otherwise protected by copyright. So if you built your building after 1990 and it's very fancy, then probably you have a pretty good claim to say, hey, you at least have to negotiate with me for the license to include it in your video game, even though I wouldn't need to go and get a license if I were taking a picture or making a movie that included incidental references to that building. That leads us to the rest of this article. While copyright owners won't go after a picture you took of a building, they do protect themselves from more obvious infringements. Now that could have been in red, but I didn't want to make this whole page in red. But as we just talked about, photo of a building, picture of a building, expressly in black and white in the law is not an infringement. So it's not from more obvious infringements. They don't go after you because it's not illegal to take that picture. Then we go to quote from Michael Lee, who I believe I follow on Twitter. He's a good lawyer, puts some good tweets out there on video games. Check him out. And he says about what we would expect with respect to copyright. If you have just a basic box of a building that looks like just a generic building, you can't go around and sue every building in Manhattan and say, you have stolen my idea of what a building looks like. That's that functionality concept. You can't protect the functionality of something, but you could protect the artistic parts of it. So when it comes to certain architecture, whether it has big spires at the top, like the Chrysler building, or whether it has curved glass, whether you see something and you say, hey, that it's unique and different, that is absolutely protected by copyright, provided it was built 
after December 1st, 1990. So in order to reproduce it in either another building or make a derivative work such as a t-shirt, a model, or even putting it in a video game, you need authorization from the copyright owner to reproduce the protected thing, which in this case could be the Chrysler building. Now, I'm not blaming Michael Lee. He was asked to give a quote to Game Informer here. He gave a quote. There's no reason necessarily to know expressly when the Copyright Act protection kicked in here, but the end result is that the article assumes a mistaken premise. The Chrysler building is 100% not protected by copyright. So this is very true paragraph. It's a very useful paragraph. If your building was built after 1990, that is not in fact the case. So when Game Informer next has the paragraph, in fact, the Chrysler building is protected under copyright, I of course highlight it in red and note it because that's not correct. They continue. So its owners and IP holders are free to decide whether or not it shows up in a piece of media like Miles Morales. They are not. For whatever reason, Signa Group or RFR Holding decided they didn't want their building to appear in the game, and it's completely within their rights as the owners of the Chrysler building, no matter how iconic the building is or if it appeared in a game just two years ago. According to what we heard from Insomniac, the developer did try to get permission, but obviously were not able to. Now, they have this paragraph, and they say, hey, there's no reason to know exactly why they didn't keep the building in the game, but if Insomniac were in the business of going and licensing out famous parts of the New York City skyline, it's possible that their price was just too high, right? And you say, Rick, well, if they aren't copyright protected, why were they negotiating a price at all? We'll get to that. The quote from Insomniac and James Stevenson, Insomniac's community director, is interesting. He says, when creating our representation of the city, we wanted to include as many landmarks as we could to add to the sense of immersion. We wanted it to feel like real New York, right? Sometimes negotiations to use those locations didn't work out, which was the case with the Chrysler building, in Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales. Now, you've watched the video this far, and you say, why in the world is Insomniac negotiating with these folks at all? There are reasons behind that, one of which is that lawyers and legal teams are always trying to clear intellectual property issues, regardless of whether or not they are legitimate, and especially if you've got a potentially aggressive, litigious party on the other side. And when you have a change in ownership of something like a major landmark that you are going to be including in your video game, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know how these people are going to behave. You don't know how litigious they are going to be about what they think their rights are. And as we've talked about in virtual legality, to some extent, it doesn't matter what your rights are if the other party is willing to sue over them. Regardless of whether or not you would win, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to even pursue the issue because at the end of the day, no one bought Miles Morales because the Chrysler building was in it or didn't buy it because it wasn't in it. And Insomniac at its baseline, knows that. And so they talk to these people. They say, hey, it would be useful for you to have your image of your building in our game. It would look great. Nothing bad is going to happen to it. We're not going to knock it down or anything like that. Can we put it in the game? And they say, sure, for $10 million. And Soundiac says, very nice talking with you. We'll make the building look a little different. We'll put some shiny windows on it. Game Informer continues, this doesn't mean that everyone is going to abide by these copyright rules or that the inclusion of a building isn't protected under fair use. As an example, Lee says that if a movie has a split second shot of the Empire State Building in the background, it could be argued that it's fair use. And again, that's true, but you don't have to arrive at the level of fair use because Section 120 already says that pictorial depictions of something protected as an architectural work aren't copyright infringement. You can't protect yourself from appearing on a photo, appearing in a movie, just solely based on copyright. So at the end of the day, this article takes a wrong premise 
but it still is articulating something that happened, right? The premise isn't correct. It's not protected by copyright, but this still occurred. So the question is why? And so I did some digging. I looked at some things. And before we get into that, it's important to once again detail the difference between trademark, patent, or copyright. Apologies to the many of you in virtual legality who have seen this page before, but the USPTO, the United States Patent and Trademark Office, does a good job of distinguishing these three things. And non-lawyers and non-intellectual property lawyers, even, even lawyers that don't deal with this stuff all the time, have trouble with these concepts. First and foremost, a trademark is a word, phrase, symbol, or design, including a building design, that identifies and distinguishes the source of the goods of one party from those of others. Unlike patents and copyrights, trademarks do not expire after a set term of years. You just have to keep using them and keep defending them. Patents, you probably know, are property rights related to inventions. And copyrights, the big daddy, the one that we talk about the most in virtual legality, protects original works of authorship, including literary, dramatic, musical, and artistic works and architectural works. And the duration exists only for a set amount of time. But copyrights give you this blanket authority. If I've got a copyright protection in my building, in this particular case, you can't copy it. You can't put it in something because that will be a derivative work of my copyright. And so I get a lot of leverage to negotiate licenses with you. Trademarks are different. Trademarks identify the source of goods. You actually have to go and tell the trademark office, all right, I'm going to name this thing, this thing, and what am I going to sell with it? And to the extent that I am not selling something in the world, somebody else can come in and use the same name as long as it doesn't confuse people and sell a different product with that very same thing. Or as the Lanham Act, the Trademark Act in the United States says, the main protection is that any person who without consent of the registrant, the person that holds the trademark, uses in commerce any registered mark or counterfeit or copy in connection with the sale, offering for sale, distribution, or advertising of any goods or services or on or in connection with which such use is likely to cause confusion or to cause mistake or to deceive gets into trouble, shall be liable in a civil action, right? So the primary focus of the Trademark Act and what a trademark is, is that you aren't going to confuse that the other party that holds the mark is somehow endorsing or selling this product for you. And if we go and we look at the Chrysler building, we see that the Chrysler building design, the actual spire here, we'll see if we can zoom in on it a little bit here for you, is actually trademarked. Now, what is it trademarked for in terms of goods and services? The leasing of office space and attendant services to tenants. It's owned, the trademark is owned by the party that actually owns the building for purposes of leasing office space. And you can bet, and I couldn't find it because it's difficult to find design marks if you aren't the attorney that is doing this for the Chrysler building. But I would be willing to bet that they also have this mark or one that looks very similar to it in respect of selling of things like t-shirts or frisbees or mugs or whatever else it might be that is representative of the Chrysler building so that they can put roughly this logo on things and designate that the Chrysler building or the owners of the Chrysler building have put forth this good and or service. The problem with this particular issue in respect of Spider-Man is that I'd be willing to bet that neither Abu Dhabi, when they originally had it, Cigna Group, RFR Holding LLC, is in the business of making video games of any kind. 
right? So they own the Chrysler building. They own whatever trademarks the Chrysler building has, but they probably haven't been in the business of making video games. And it would be very difficult to assume, certainly from my seat here, that the presence of the Chrysler building, especially when combined with all the other landmarks that appear in Miles Morales, would indicate that the owners, these real estate development companies, have somehow endorsed or otherwise created the Spider-Man Miles Morales product, which means that at its baseline level, it's a very difficult trademark case to make. We also see that trademarks in buildings haven't always been that successful, and we can see instances where they have been. So I pulled up a blog post from someone that put this up on Lexology that talks about various things that have been trademarked as buildings in the United States. We see the Empire State Building in New York had pointed out that the building gift shop sold wine and champagne and was of the view that the sale of beer under the logo of the Empire State Building, which someone had tried in New York, was likely to conjure up an immediate association with their company that owns that trademark in the Empire State Building. The court wound up agreeing. And they wound up agreeing not only because of what we just talked about, the likelihood of direct confusion, but also a famous mark being diluted. The use of the allegedly infringing beer logo is bound to be construed as having originated from the owner of the trademark alone or having some nexus, association, affiliation, endorsement, or an authorized license from the owner of the trademark. We also see other instances here. The New York Stock Exchange was successful in preventing a casino in Las Vegas from displaying a replica of the building, the Flatiron Building, that one with the weird corner that has the two diagonal streets across from it. I think it's where the Daily Bugle is, uh, whose trademark registration is owned by Newmark Operators, was successful in obtaining a license from the Flatiron Partners for depicting the building in its company logo. So we see these instances where, yes, if you directly copy the building, yep, you're probably going to get in trouble with somebody that owns a trademark. If you otherwise only use that building as part of your logo, okay, another instance of trouble. Or if you use that building to sell a different product like beer, you might be okay, but you see what the Empire State Building actually had to do and say, hey, we sell wine and champagne in our gift shops. Now, do they actually sell wine or champagne in their gift shops with an Empire State Building on it? I don't know. But they do sell that wine and champagne in their gift shops. And the court said, okay, so since you are also in the business of using your logo to sell wine and champagne, the sale of beer under the logo could be a confusing aspect of this. And so you do have a trademark action. They also said that you might have an action for blurring which is to say when you have a famous mark, you can actually bring a claim that says this other party can't use that mark because it could potentially blur or otherwise dilute our trademark because we didn't have control over it. And the court will look at certain issues with respect to whether or not it was diluted by blurring, the degree of similarity between the mark or trade name and the famous mark. So here, if you've got an identical replica of the Chrysler building, that's gonna be in a 100% degree of similarity with the exception, of course, that it's digitally represented and projected to you on a 2D television screen, which, of course, if it came to it, the insomniac lawyers would bring up. The degree of inherent or acquired distinctiveness of the famous mark. Well, based on the Wikipedia page, the Chrysler building is pretty darn distinct. They've got that as well. The extent to which the owner of the famous mark is engaging in substantially exclusive use of the mark to the extent that they protect that mark. This is why you see such aggressive litigation from trademark holders, is that Unlike copyright, which continues to be an area of dispute in the comments to my videos, copyright holders don't have to police copyright to the same extent of trademark holders. If trademark holders don't police their trademarks, they wind up either losing the trademark or having a significantly diluted trademark and can't bring the same kind of actions. So that's why you see this aggressive litigation 
even from potentially new owners of things like the Chrysler building. The degree of recognition of the famous Mark Chrysler building, pretty obvious. Whether the user of the Mark intended to create an association with the famous Mark. Did Insomniac, if they would have included the Chrysler building, did they intend to create an association with the Chrysler building or more specifically with the Chrysler building company owners? I say that's a tough one. And any actual association between the Mark or trade name and the famous Mark. So you'd never see Insomniac actually calling it the Chrysler building probably in their video game. But if they used it, they could run into trouble with respect to a trademark holder. And the Chrysler building is trademarked. It isn't copyrighted. This isn't a copyright issue, right? Due to copyright infringement, that's not accurate. All of these paragraphs about copyright, not accurate. But what is accurate is you do have a new owner that you don't know how they are. You don't know whether they're going to be overly litigious. They have incentive to be to protect their trademarks, even if they were to lose. And so you ask yourself, hey, Rick, why at the end of the day does this need to happen if the trademark claim is a difficult one to win for them because they don't sell video games? It's not likely to be confusing for anyone because of the inclusion of really the entirety of Manhattan Island, that the Chrysler company had something specific to do with this video game. And the reason is, ironically enough, the same reason that we talk about with respect to DMCA takedowns or virtually any other issue in virtual legality, which is to say... Every single action or inaction under the law is a determination of the costs and benefits of taking that action. So if you're insomniac and you talk to the Chrysler building's new owners and you say, hey, look, we maybe haven't paid that much money or we haven't paid any money because we think this is good for you. We'd like to include you in the video game. You're already in it. We'll just include you in the update. And they say, no, no, no. We'd like some money for that. And maybe you have a talk or two and then your lawyers say, well, I don't know that they have a great claim under the Trademark Act. They definitely aren't copyrighted, regardless of what Game Informer will later say, but it's not worth it. Nobody is really going to care. In fact, this article came out on November 20th when the game came out a week beforehand and review copies were out before then. Nobody really noticed, or if they did, they didn't think it was that big of a deal because it's not. And so the Chrysler building owners miss out on being included in one of the better games of the year. And Insomniac isn't going to lose any sales or sleep over any of it, which just goes to show you that you can be a large corporation like Insomniac itself owned by an even larger corporation like Sony and still look at an issue, even if Hogue were to call you up and say, I don't think they have a great legal claim because I don't. And I would still say, yeah, if you don't think it's going to make a difference for your sales, there's no reason to poke that bear if you don't know whether that bear is going to bite your hand. And that is unfortunately the fact of the matter in Spider-Man versus the Chrysler building and why you don't get to see the Chrysler building in Miles Morales. But whatever you do, don't take away from this video that it is copyright infringement. Tell your friends it is in fact not the case. So sorry, Game Informer, it's not copyright infringement. That's the wrong premise for this discussion about the Chrysler building. But I still appreciate you having the conversation in the first place. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed this video. Please like subscribe, share, tell folks that we are here having conversations about intellectual property, Spider-Man, video games, movies, music, Animal Crossing, politics, and more. If you like any of those topics or you hate all of them and just want to hate, comment, and or hate subscribe, please feel free to do so. Please tell your friends and thank you so much for watching this on YouTube. If you caught it instead in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.
Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.